today on Ag News Daily. Kinetic Vet purchased the product and now we reintroduced it to the animal health world. And what it does, it, it's an antihistamine for those, for a better word, those low-headed, coughing, sick, possibly pneumonia calves that you see on feedlots, cow-calf operations, and things such as that. So that's that's been exciting for us. Good morning, listeners. Just as a reminder, our episodes are all sponsored by Kubota this week, celebrating 50 years of helping people get the job done right with versatile, durable equipment. Kubota, together we do more. Good morning. Back to host a girls show today. How are you, Delaney? I'm doing pretty good, Cassie. How about you? Anything new to report to our listeners? I'm doing great. I got a few stories to cover this morning. One won't be very new news to anyone as grocery prices are continuing to rise, which I feel like I report on every day. But month over month, we had a 1.1% increase in grocery prices with eggs being the biggest price raise of all. Their cost rose by 4.3% in the month of July and 38% in the year. Now, actually, I am a little bit surprised to hear that, although I suppose that data might be a little bit behind, but we did get word that the U.S. dollar continues to slide and consumer price goods uh, inflation basically held steady in the month of July. The CPI or consumer price index was flat for the month of July after advancing 1.3% in June. And the Labor Department said on Wednesday that they've been closely watching that report. And it appears that inflation might be under control. Some analysts are suggesting that that steadiness in the month of July is showing us that inflation has peaked, although it might be a little too soon to tell. This also was noted that the other reason we might have seen CPI remain steady was the cost of gasoline dropped very significantly during the month of July, helping consumers have a little bit more jingle in their pocket. And we saw um, that followed up here by the U.S. dollar having some big moves to the downside this week. Earlier this week, the dollar fell in its biggest daily move in five months, down 1%. I believe this slide happened on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we saw another two-tenths of a percent slide. And this puts the dollar back on the same footing as many other global currencies and suggests that the dollar and its price action, its strength that we've seen might be coming to an end here. We're still a Guessing by many traders that we will see another Fed interest rate hike in September after its September policy meeting, but folks are suggesting that that interest rate hike might be a little bit shorter and less aggressive than what the Fed was originally proposing to do in their September meeting. So all in all, too soon to tell if inflation is in, is in fact curbed, but July's numbers CPI numbers certainly paint a picture that perhaps we've gotten things under control, which should equate to cheaper products in the grocery store eventually, Cassidy. Yes, Delaney, I am hopeful to be reporting on prices going the other way on the grocery shelves next month when those numbers come out. Another thing that I'd like to report on for our listeners this morning is weather-related, of course, 
A big thunderstorm hit Oklahoma this Tuesday, and it seems that a lightning strike hit one of the wind turbines on their big wind farm in central Oklahoma. It has not been confirmed that it was from lightning strike, but the entire turbine fell and was on fire when crews arrived to the scene. That's a little bit scary for sure. And I know a lot of our listeners probably have mixed feelings on turbines. I know a lot of folks in Iowa, not big fans of them. Yeah, I definitely think we should keep an eye on this story because it hasn't been confirmed that it was lightning. There's always a mystery behind that when we don't have confirmed news, but I'm sure that we will get to the bottom of that sometime this week. Well, speaking of other infrastructure moves, Summit Carbon Solutions, which is, of course, an Iowa-based, Ames-based company, putting together a pipeline, submitted its final list, or excuse me, its first list of properties for which it would seek eminent domain if landowners continue to oppose the pipeline on Monday. This pipeline would be 680 miles stretching through the western and northern parts of Iowa to transport captured carbon dioxide from a dozen different ethanol facilities, pumped deep into the ground and then transported via the pipeline to North Dakota, where that carbon would be stored. Uh, This project has been going on for a little while now, been in the news more and more recently, it seems. But this project has the potential to traverse about a third of Iowa's counties. And so now we're starting to see the eminent domain card played, although they said at the beginning that was not a card they really wanted to play. However, it hasn't seemed like a lot of properties have been on board with it. They said they've only secured permission for about 40% of their total pipeline this far and are going to have to use eminent domain to potentially get the other 60% of properties needed for the rest of the pipeline. Well, it will be interesting how that goes for them, and hopefully they get that approved. A Something that has been approved is the Texas Beef Facility that we talked about a few months ago, and then it kind of, the news kind of settled down for it, but now more details are being released for the Texas Beef Producers facility going up in Amarillo. They have released their executive team and the members that will be on it. And also it has been said that the Texas facility has been awarded 10 years of tax abatements from the Highland Park School District and the city of Amarillo, along with water and sewer infrastructure improvements just for them. And it has been released that it will be located on over 1,100 acres at Jack Robert Rabbit Road between Interstate 40 and U.S. Highway 287. Governor Abbott has showed his support for this facility as well as the mayor of Amarillo, and it looks like lots of people are getting behind this project and getting excited about it. They do plan to open their doors and begin operation at the end of 2025. Well, that's certainly a little ways away, but interesting that they're working on that now. Cassidy, I wanted to take a quick pause here to mention again, folks, we are sponsored today by Kubota Farming demands well-built equipment and Kubota equipment that's proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid steers. Visit your local Kubota dealer today for a demo. Cassidy got some additional 
market-related news here. Of course, we've got the WASD report coming out tomorrow. I'll get to those numbers, those estimates here in just a moment. But we, of course, had the third day of the DTN, DTN digital crop tour that put together yields for Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. And the headline here was Nebraska and Iowa both seeing substantially lower yields compared to their average Wisconsin just slightly below average. On Wednesday, Grow Intelligence's model put corn yields in Iowa and Nebraska significantly below the five-year average. Iowa farmer yields came in at 180 bushels per acre, down about 15 bushels per acre, noting that the five-year average is usually a 195. Nebraska showed even greater disparity with corn yield for this year coming in at a 158 compared to a 186 for the five-year average. Wisconsin forecasted harvest to be only about three bushels below average at a 169. But like we continue to talk about here, it's really kind of the Mississippi River seems to be that line, maybe one state east of that, Illinois, Wisconsin. But right in there, there is really a line of Crops looking really good and crops looking not so good compared to normal years. And because of that, a lot of analysts are expecting to see that noted on tomorrow's WASD report, Cassidy, which drops at 11 a.m. Central Time. Due to the continued decreased uh, good to excellent ratings, the Dow Jones survey of 20 different analysts and firms showed that the U.S. crop estimate for 2022 was going to be lower on tomorrow's report based on a lower yield. They're having it pegged at a 175. This, is, of course, is not as low as DTN's digital tour, which put it at a 167 national corn yield, but still lower than where the USDA was at so far, which I believe is at a 179. Soybeans also are showing or alleging by these analysts that we will see stronger physical demand reflected in tomorrow's report. And that should be positive or bullish for tomorrow's WASD survey. They're also suggesting a slightly reduced yield, 51 bushels per acre. So not noticeably different there. But those are some of the expected numbers that we may see tomorrow on that WASD report, Cassidy. Well, I am excited to see what comes out on the WASD, and we'll be sure to report that to our listeners. One thing that I wanted to report to our listeners this morning is coming from our southern neighbors in Brazil. Jao Martins, who is the head of the National Confederation of Agriculture, announced his distaste for leading presidential candidate Luis Inacio Lula da Silva during a conference earlier this week. He also announced his support for Yar Bolsonaro, who is running for president against Lula. And it looks like Bolsonaro has great support from the farming sector. So we'll have to keep an eye on that to see who wins out in this election later this year. Yeah, this is a very big election, as we know. Um, Bolsonaro, of course, has been compared to the Trump of the tropics. Very similar rhetoric to President Trump. and has, of course, been the incumbent here, so expected to probably steal the race here. But as we know, Brazil does not necessarily play that by the same rules that we play by here in the United States. There's a lot of fraud and forgery around elections, so wouldn't be surprised to see something coming in last minute to uh, change the races, Cassidy. 
Yes, for sure. That was one of the biggest reasons that Lula has been spoken out against is because of his fraud that he was convicted of in 2017. Yeah, I believe he served some prison time, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yes, ma'am. He was jailed for a year and a half, and his convictions were eventually annulled. So that's how he's getting to run again. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. I was a little confused when you said that. I was like, last I know, he was still in jail, but okay. <laughs> uh, final piece of news I have for today related to Ukrainian grain shipments. I mentioned on the podcast earlier this week that, of course, I'd read some rumor and speculation that Lebanon had rejected their first Ukrainian grain shipment, and can can confirm that today. That was actually the case. Lebanon did refuse to accept the cargo. But here's the key component I did not realize at the time on Monday when I reported this. That's not a problem for Ukraine because the way that they do their grain exports there are concluded on FOB terms, meaning that once that grain is fully loaded and left the dock, the risk transfers to the buyer. So Ukraine will still get paid. Everything is still good for them. It's now a Lebanese problem. But we also see quite a few more shipments or have seen quite a few more shipments leaving Ukrainian terminals since the deal was put in place. We saw three ships on August 5th, three ships on August 7th, a couple ships on August 8th and the morning of August 9th. And Ukraine is saying that they're really going to push the envelope here and try to get more grain shipments exported over the next uh, you know, 120 days or so. They said they have a program in place called the Grain Initiative which is really going to try and get more grain exported out of the country so that they can hopefully try and play a little bit of catch-up game here, Cassidy. So continue to watch how that goes. But like Lebanon was suggesting there, quality is still going to be a concern. So physically getting the grain exported is one thing, but accepting that, of course, or ordering more uh, is the other caveat here that Ukraine will have to deal with as they continue to uh, do some of that aftermath cleanup. Yes, that will be interesting to watch to see how much they get pushed out and how much actually gets accepted. But before you jump into the markets, Delaney, I wanted to remind our listeners that farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that's proven for over a century, tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, Sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed and productive SSV skid steers. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Absolutely, folks. Call up your Kubota dealer and get that demo in place. You might need it if you're going to have a little extra jingle in your pocket and need a little uh, last minute tax abatements here. But Commodity markets this morning are looking very strong, continuing to trade on lower yield numbers and hot and dry weather as we get into the final stretch of the growing season. In the overnights this morning, December new crop corn up three and three quarter cents, trading now at 622. New crop soybeans up 11 and a half cents at 1439. September Chicago wheat up eight cents on the morning at 807 and three quarters. And hopping over to take a look at livestock in the overnight session. 
October live cattle up a buck thirty at one forty four forty seven. September feeders added two fifty in the overnight, trading right now at a buck eighty five even. And October Lena hogs added a dollar twenty five in the overnight, trading right around a hundred bucks, still at one hundred eighty five. Cassidy, fill our listeners in on who we're chatting with for today's interview. Yes, we're jumping in with to a conversation with. Mr. J.D. Hill from Kinetic Vet to talk a bit about the supplies and pharmaceuticals that he sells in his current role. Listeners, I'm happy to be joining you all today with Mr. J.D. Hill, National Sales Manager at Kinetic Vet. J.D., thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So like we start out all of our conversations with our guests, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your background and how you got involved in agriculture and then how you got to Kinetic Vet. Well, I grew up in uh, western Kentucky, which is pretty much a rural uh, part of the state. Uh, You get outside of Lexington and Louisville, up around that thoroughbred country. Uh, The rest of the state is pretty much uh, agriculture row crops, uh, cow-calf operations, um, a few backgrounders and feeders in the cattle industry, and also some dairy, which at one time back in the early 80s, there was a a large centralization of pig improvement companies down in uh, western Kentucky, which uh, housed and and farrowed out probably hundreds of thousands of hogs a year. So, but that's, that's all gone now. But uh, growing up in Western Kentucky in the rural parts of the state, uh, I learned uh, a lot about raising tobacco and cultivating tobacco and curing tobacco. And also uh, the family farm that I grew up on, we raised cattle Mm -hmm. and also involved with uh, uh, horses, usually mostly using horses that we use there on the farm and the ranch. So that's that's my background as far as my youth goes and then uh getting into the animal health industry uh after college uh, which I, I attended Western Kentucky University and also Campbellsville University but I had my degree in business administration from uh, Western Kentucky University um I really wanted to get into sales uh at, at that time in the early 90s the uh the so-called term pharmaceutical sales rep was used highly, and those folks were making a very good income. But uh, my my background and, and my, uh, I guess you would say for a better word, my raising was in agriculture. I knew that products like dewormers, vaccines, and things like that were we're also on the on the pharmaceutical and biological side of many of these large companies. So that was kind of my inroad. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, JD, now that it looks like you're involved more with the thoroughbred and the horse industry, what are some of the issues you've been facing in the sales market lately? I know there's been a lot of new laws passed about antibiotics and different things and supply chain issues, of course. What are some big issues you've faced? Excuse me. Right now at the moment, I I believe that the supply chain issue is our biggest problem we're facing in the animal health industry, uh, especially in the equine market. Also in the cattle market as well. Um, I I do see the regulatory issues from the FDA that the different 
government agencies that are trying to regulate farming, uh, the meat and beef industry, the dairy industry. Um, I, I think it's, it's become something that the general public needs to be more aware of, not just us that are in the industry mm-hmm. and also the government agencies, our politicians, uh, the lobbyists. Um, it, it just needs to be more inf- information out there for the general public because as, as a population uh, grows here in the United States, North America, and the world in general, um, one thing about it, we're all going to have to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important that we educate the general population and, and our youth about what's happening to our food sources. Yes, sir. Well, on the flip side of that, what are some of the exciting things that you've come across lately, some new products you've been pushing out or anything like that that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, for one thing for sure, and I think the the millennials that will be listening to this old, I don't even know what generation I'm in, but <laughs> I'm, I'm old. So I think technology has enhanced uh animal health and the agricultural industry just tremendously and being one that maybe kept it at an arm's length for a long time has now for a better word figured out that I've been defeated (laughs) Uh, but in a good way Uh, you know each generation can learn from another generation whether it's the older teaching the younger the younger teaching the older um, this, this agriculture business that we're in, it's, it's expanding, but yet it's shrinking at the same time. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Um, there's, there's less and less people involved, um, because of technology, which in some instances makes it a good thing, but in other instances, it makes it somewhat a tricky situation because, I think there's always going to have to be that human animal bond or that human agriculture connection. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that someday we're going to wake up and everything that we eat or intake in our body is going to be in a pill form or, you know, the futuristic things that we've all seen growing up the Jetsons, so to speak. (laughs) Um, You know, it, at the end of the day, to, to put food on the table and to raise cattle, uh, to, to raise better, stronger, healthier horses, um, uh, food, as, as far as, you know, our, our crops, our, our big row crops like wheat, soybeans, and corn, it's going to take hands getting dirty, people right. connecting with people, and people communicating with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. For you and all of the others at Kinetic Vet, what are some of y'all's big goals you're trying to reach this year and in the coming years? Well, we've just launched a new product that's new to us, but not new to the cattle industry, and that is Recover. Uh, it's triple enamine hydrochloride injectable. Uh, it's It's been on the market uh, as a compounded product now for the last 10 to 15 years. Um, Fort Dodge had the product at one time, uh, raw materials, 
uh, in the early 90s became an issue. So they just put it on the shelf. Kinetic Vet purchased the product, and now we reintroduced it to the animal health world. And what it does, it's, it's an antihistamine for those, for a better word, those low-headed, coughing, sick, possibly pneumonia calves that you see on feedlots, cow-calf operations, and things such as that. So that's that's been exciting for us. Very cool. Now, I did report on an article just last week with Zoetis getting some new approvals for their implants being used as re-implants. Do you have any information on that and what that means for the beef industry? I think Zoetis is coming to the forefront now. You know, the, the big four, as I call them, with BI included in, in that and Zoetis, um, <laughs> there's, there's things happening every day. I just got back from a meeting in Fort Worth, and I, I do believe that this double implant uh, situation and possible affecting the beef market will will help us as a nation feed the world because yeah. that's what we do. Awesome. Well, JD, we really thank you for coming on and just sharing a little bit about yourself and your work with our listeners. If they'd like to get in contact with you or Kinetic Vet at all, how can they reach you? Uh, you can reach me at my cell number. It's 270-725-1170 or at JD, uh, no periods in there, just JD at kineticvet.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Well, Delaney, that was a great conversation with JD, and I'm excited to see what's coming down the pipeline for Kinetic Vet. Absolutely good conversation there that you snagged with him. So appreciate that, Cassidy. Yes, ma'am. Listeners, we would very much appreciate it if you left us a rating and review on your podcast platform and followed us on social media. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.